You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Remembrance Day is an interesting day. It's a day that I remember celebrating as a child throughout my school career from kindergarten through grade 12. And um, it's, it's a time of reflection, it's a time of, of somber thought, of honoring um, those who have gone and thinking towards the future. But what kind of future do we want to have? And um, this morning, um, I'm going to take the first few minutes here and we're going to talk about Remembrance Day and remember and honor our military and those who have served our nation in uniform, and those who have been injured, those who have been killed. We honor veterans who have served and the men and women who are still serving in our armed forces today. To commemorate and support the veterans, we wear poppies distributed through the Canadian Legion. And uh, when we do so, we honor those who have gone before us. And this year is a special year. It is 100 years since Armistice um, was signed. And uh, we still remember. We still remember. And there's no greater symbol internationally that reminds us of the sacrifice that Canadians and others have made throughout, well, especially the the last hundred years than this poppy. And uh, when we donate our, our coins and our change and our bills and to the Legion for these uh, poppies, it's going to support veterans and programs, and it's, and it's a great cause. I think it's a wonderful thing uh, that we have this, this image, this symbol, that instantly is recognizable, that we know what it is when we see it. It's similar to the cross. It's a symbol that has meaning it speaks, even though it's just an image. And the symbol of the poppy is one that's about sacrifice. It's a symbol that represents loss and bravery and courage, but also triumph and victory. And um, I was uh, listening to a CBC broadcast earlier this week, and they were talking about the poppy. And they were explaining, I guess, how the poppy pods um, that have the seeds that can be planted can remain dormant for upwards of 100 years. That I guess they can remain in soil just waiting for the right conditions on which they can grow and prosper. And during the time of World War One, such a time um, took place that with the bombs and the heavy machinery and military vehicles and everything going on, it, it greatly disturbed the grounds, it greatly disturbed the soils of Europe. And... Um, in some of these areas where there already were poppies and poppy seeds, there were certain areas that apparently just these poppy seeds, but the, the digging of graves and the, and the tearing up of the ground created the right conditions for poppies to just flood the grounds. And especially in areas where there were uh, bodies buried and, and there was um, the loose topsoil that had been turned over for, for burials, the poppies, I guess, they're saying, just started growing everywhere. 
and it became a symbol, a symbol of those who had fallen. The poppy is also famous because it symbolizes peace, a freedom bought about by sacrifice, dedication, and selfless acts of service of thousands and millions of men and women. In Flanders Field, it's, uh, it's probably the most well-known famous war time memorial poem that uh, is, will be read thousands of times throughout the world today. But I'd never been to a Remembrance Day anything without hearing the poem. And uh, I felt like it would be a shame if I let that happen on my watch. So I would like to read it this morning um, to commemorate it. Here we go. This was a, a poem that was written by Lieutenant Colonel John McRae. He is uh, now a famous poet, but at the time he was fighting on the front lines and had lost um, a friend in combat. And uh, shortly after that, he wrote this poem. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard among the guns below. We are dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. This poem was composed in the battlefront May 3rd of 1915. Today, in Canada and around the world in 2018, we remember the great cost of freedom. That is, it is said that freedom is never free. That there's always a cost associated to maintaining peace and freedom. In the case of World War I, it cost 61,000 Canadian lives or thereabouts. They actually don't even know the exact number because there were times where there wasn't the ability for the soldiers to retrieve bodies. Sometimes bodies were just literally blown apart and they couldn't find the bodies. Sometimes there were uh, young men that would go and try to serve that were minors, that sometimes would use false documents because they felt the need to go and serve. And so after World War I, there's actually, I guess, a list of missing persons, of people that fraudulently um, went to go serve their country and felt the duty to go serve even though they weren't 18 yet. And uh, it's an amazing thing, the need to serve, the need to to go and um, to walk into battle with, with your friends and with your countrymen. Because you're serving something that's greater than yourself. There's a goal, there's something that's at hand that's worth risking your life for. And many young men and young women over World War I risked their lives and their lives were taken in pursuit of peace. During World War II, the cost was very great. We had 1.1 million Canadians serving in the Canadian Army, Royal Canadian Navy, Canadian Air Force, and uh, in the forces all across the Commonwealth. More than 44,000 lost their lives and 54,000 came home wounded with physical injury. 
But I would almost guarantee that every single veteran that came home from Europe was wounded. Even if it wasn't a physical wound, the scars of war go far beyond a physical ailment. But spirits are wounded. The emotional health and mental health of people who experience such trauma are wounded. Once again, it said that freedom is never free in every conflict that Canada has fought alongside its allies to bring peace. And all the conflicts that we've participated in, they've left scars. And often the scars that are left are to those that are left behind. The mothers whose sons went to war and never came home. The wives who sent their husbands or young husbands off to war and never saw them again. And I know my grandmother, my mom's side of the family is from England. And uh, my grandmother married my grandfather um, right before the war. And actually, I guess the war had already started. But they got married, and two days later, my grandfather was whisked away to northern Africa, where he served for almost the entirety of the war. And my grandmother didn't see him for almost five years. Two days after being married, I couldn't even imagine the blessing and the privilege that we have. When Rhea and I got married, we got whisked away to the Caribbean. <laughs> we went on a cruise and enjoyed ourselves. What privilege we have, what privilege I have because of the sacrifices of our forefathers, of some of our parents and grandparents, and great-grandparents, that we can sit here today with the peace and the privilege that we have here in Canada. What an amazing thing. War leaves scars. It leaves widows. It leaves orphans. It leaves broken hearts and broken spirits. Service members and their families today still bear the cost of those who are serving and protecting our freedom around the world. And um, this morning, we just want to think of you in this moment right now. So if you are a spouse or um, of someone who's in the military who um, routinely has their spouse gone, we want to support you in those times, and we think of you guys. And so we just pray that you guys would be blessed, that you guys would be able to stay connected, and, um, and that God would bless you in those seasons of, of loneliness and separation. Remembrance Day, it was originally called Armistice Day, and it was to commemorate the Armistice Agreement that ended the First World War on Monday, November 11th of 1918. And after four years of bitter fighting, the Great War was finally over. The Armistice was signed at 5 a.m. on a railway carriage in the forest of Campagne, if that's how you say it, France, on November 11th, 1918. Six hours later, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the war was officially over. The first Remembrance Day was conducted in 1919 throughout Britain and the British Commonwealth. Originally called Armistice Day, it commemorated the end of the hostilities that plagued the previous years. It became a, to symbolize, at the end of the Second World War, um, it changed to, to Remembrance Day to, 
to commemorate the Second World War and every other conflict that would come after that we were involved in. In a letter published in the London Evening News on May 8th, 1919, an Australian journalist named Edward George Honey proposed a respectful silence to remember those who had given their life during World War I. This was brought to the attention of King George V, and on the 7th of November, 1919, the king issued a proclamation which called for a two-minute of silence on November 11th, in which he said, all locomotion should cease, so that in perfect stillness the thoughts of everyone may be concentrated on reverent remembrance of our glorious dead. After the Second World War in 1945, Arms Day officially became Remembrance Day, to include those who had fallen in both world wars. Since 1919, on the second Sunday of November, two minutes of silence are observed at 11.11 and at war memorial services throughout the country and the world. This morning, we're going to do the same. And in a few minutes, we're going to have two minutes of silence to reflect and to honor those who've gone before us. those who've served our country, and to reflect on and be grateful for what those who've gone before us sacrificed so that we could have peace, so that we could have the existence that we have here today, that we can have the freedom to come together and to worship our God in a public setting. What a privilege. What a privilege. Today we remember those who give their lives to preserve freedom, to fight against tyranny, to serve our great country. We appreciate the lives that bravely fought to preserve our country and we honor those who are dead. There's an article from uh, 2015 that was written by a lady named Jessie Ferreris who highlights some contributions that Canadians made in both the First and Second World War and I'd like to share a couple of those stories with you this morning. But before I do that, I want to read to you James 3.18, which says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This gentleman here, he's a, a famous Canadian named Leo Major, and uh, according to this article, it says that he was as close to a Rambo as a Canadian could be. This Montreal-born soldier, partially blinded in one eye following D-Day, is credited with capturing almost 100 German soldiers on his own during 1944's battle in Scheldt in the Netherlands. But that's not all. He's also known for liberating an entire city all by himself. How does this happen? I, it makes me think that this guy just would run ahead of his pack. You know how like the army would be going and there's always one guy that just is eager to, to get there first? I feel like he was the, he was the one that always got there first because how else does this happen? So he liberated an entire city by himself. In 1945, he made an incursion into a Dutch city of Zwolle, tricking a German into believing that it was surrounded by Canadian troops. So he walks into this city and comes across a German soldier and puts up his gun and says, surrender, you are surrounded. Meanwhile, he's, they're not surrounded. And um, anyhow, you know how as kids there's that game of telephone 
where somebody would, you know, like you tell your friend this and you tell your friend this. Well, I can imagine that this guy went off to tell his friend, you know, there are this many soldiers that are surrounding our city. We got to get out of here. And the next soldier going to the next guy and saying, there's this many Canadian soldiers. Him going to the next guy, there's this many Canadian soldiers. Like I wonder by the end of the train, how many Canadians were there taking over the city. But needless to say, at some point, the Germans became fraught with fear as this single man charged the city, gun blazing, causing the entire city of Germans to flee, of German soldiers. And um, on his own, <laughs> this guy caused all of the Germans in this, in this city to abandon their posts. Leo Major, the cool guy. Um, Billy Bishop is um, somebody that's recorded as uh, possibly being Canada's most successful fighter pilot during the First World War. And uh, he's credited with 72 victories, the most notable being a flight in which he flew into enemy territory and attacked the German aerodrome. Legend has it they brought down three enemy planes, flew under fire, and flew under four more before returning back to base, in which King George V awarded him with a Victoria Cross. Some of you that are military might know these people better than these articles do. Tommy Prince. He is of Manitoba's broken-head Ojibwe nation, and he stands tall among Canada's indigenous war heroes. Brave and determined, don't begin to describe his exploits on the battlefield. While fighting in Italy in 1944, he disguised himself as a farmer and managed to restore a broken communication line only feet away from German soldiers. Later that year, he ventured behind enemy lines again on foot and helped capture a thousand soldiers. He was awarded the Silver Star and the Military Medal for his efforts. The men weren't the only ones who sacrificed and served in these, in these years. Uh, here's a lady named Margaret MacDonald. And um, when the First World War broke out in 1914, Margaret MacDonald became the matron-in-chief of the Canadian Army Medical Corps, and she received a major's rank. She was the first woman to receive such a designation within the whole British Empire. It was her job to marshal and to train civilian nurses overseeing 2,845 Canadian nursing sisters who by the end of the war had cared for thousands upon thousands of injured soldiers. And what's interesting is her work didn't end when the war ended. She led these nurses to continue helping these war vets years after into the 20s who were suffering from side effects of the war and a physical ailment. Elsie McGill was uh, considered a child of firsts. Her grandmother fought for the woman's right to vote. Her mother sat as British Columbia's first female judge. And so it was that McGill would become the University of Toronto's first female electrical engineering graduate, which then led the effort to build Hawker Hurricane fighter planes for allies during the Second World War. This woman led a workforce of 4,500 people in which he turned the Canadian Car and Foundry Company into a, bo a boxcar factory into one of the larger producers of hurricane fighters, churning out upwards of four planes per week. One out of every ten planes that went to war of this, of this type um, came out of her factory. 
And uh, she was dubbed the Queen of the Hurricanes. And I guess there was a comic book that was named after her um, because of her, her effort during those years. And uh, lastly here, Lieutenant Charles Smith Rutherford. Um, I decided this morning I just wanted to read something from the London Gazette that was published on the 12th of November of 1918. And they wrote this, For most con conspicuous bravery, initiative and devotion to duty, when in command of an assaulting party, Lieutenant Rutherford found himself a considerable distance ahead of his men, and at the same moment observed a fully armed, strong enemy party outside a pillbox ahead of him. And a pillbox, I guess, was like a concrete dugout, a guard post, in which would protect them from enemy fire and, and grenades. And he beckoned to them with his revolver to come to him. In return, they waved him over to him, him to come over to them. This he boldly did, where he informed them that they were going to be his prisoners. This fact, <laughs> the enemy officer disputed, and in fact invited Lieutenant Rutherford to enter the pillbox, an invitation he discreetly declined. By a masterfully wonderful bluff, however, he persuaded the enemy that they were surrounded, and the whole party of 45, including two officers and three uh, machine gunners, surrendered to him. Subsequently, he, in <laughs> he induced the enemy officer to stop the fire of an enemy machine gun close by. And Lieutenant Rutherford took advantage of the opportunity to hasten, hasten in advance his men to his support. Rutherford then observed that to his right, an assaulting party was held up by a heavy machine gun fire from another pillbox. Indicating an objective to the remainder of his party, he attacked the pillbox with a Lewis gun section um, and captured a further 35 prisoners with machine guns, thus enabling the party to continue their advance. The bold and gallant actions of this officer contributed very materially to the capture of the main objective and was a wonderful inspiration to all ranks, pressing home the attack on a very strong position. I don't know what it is. Either they were just so brave or the Canadians were just really good bluffers, really good liars. Could you imagine, like going up to 35 guys and saying, time's up, boys, surrender. And they're like, just you? <laughs> like the cojones this guy had, like I can't even believe it. But men like this, men like this are the reason that we can stand here today talking about Remembrance Day, talking about it from the side of victory not the size of loss. World War I was a war fought in the trenches. It was a war with bayonets, close contact, a lot of stalemates going on. It's a vicious and horrible war. But our men went, and they persevered. Some came home, many did not. But this morning, we're just going to take a moment and we're going to remember those who fought so bravely, those who, who fell, and, um, and do it together. So we're going to uh, maybe we'll all stand. I don't know, what's, what do we normally do? Would you normally stand or sit during, like, first past the post? I don't know. Stand. If, you, if you're able to stand, please stand with us this morning.
Thank you. You can all be seated. Well, this week, as I've been thinking about Remembrance Day, um, you know, I've been encouraged um, to not take for granted the physical and political freedom that we have here in Canada. The fact that we are beneficiaries um, of peace for, for the most part because of those who are willing to put their lives forward to protect our nation. And what's interesting about the nation of Canada is most of the men that went to fight in World War I and II were men who voluntarily went to go serve. At the end of World War I, they were short men. And the government of Canada did push through a conscription. I didn't actually know this. And it almost tore our nation apart because there was high demand for coal, for uh, grains, for all sorts of things to, to support the war effort. And so a lot of men out in the Prairie Provinces were working and farming and supporting the war effort through different means. And when the government started conscripting people, like it was a fairly large subscription, um, um, subscription, conscription, where um, he committed initially 50,000 men that were conscripted and sent overseas, to which most of them um, did end up coming home because the war was over by um, near that time. But the amount of bloodshed in these conflicts were, were huge. And uh, we are beneficiaries of what they did. And um, today as well, when we think about freedom, it's more than just political freedom. It's more than just a physical freedom to be able to go where we want to go and travel where we want to travel. But we also have a spiritual freedom through the person of Jesus Christ. And um, it's something that nobody can ever take away from us. There's nothing that a man can do to take away your freedom that you have in Jesus. And um, he's given us freedom from death, freedom from hell, freedom from eternal separation from God, and the power to overcome sin and darkness in the world and in our life. I was reflecting on 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. It is the scripture that we often use for communion services. It's the very scriptures that I, I referred to last week on Sunday when we did communion. And these are very well-known verses. I'm sure almost all of you will be familiar with them. But there are six words that stand out to me from this passage, a scripture that I find intriguing, especially on a day such as today. And that's the verse 24, where Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of of me. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 24. This is the majority of the passages here. Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Twice here, he says, do this in remembrance of me. 
And it got me thinking how fable our memories are as people. And it was a little alarming to think that maybe Jesus was concerned that his followers and his people might not remember what he's done for them. It made me wonder, how often do I take for granted and forget what the Lord has done for me? And how much of the weight of that is actually directing my life, my life decisions, and my choices, my, my choice to love, even when it's difficult, the choice to be patient when everything in me just wants to be impatient. It's human nature for us to be forgetful. You know, we forget many things, appointments, birthdays, wedding anniversaries. Sometimes we forget our own histories. <laughs> The lives of those who, who died so that we could live in a free and prosperous nation such as Canada. But may this not happen to Canada because of Remembrance Day. May Remembrance Day not be treated as nothing more than just a vacation or a stat holiday. But let it be a day that we take the time to remember. To remember. A day of significance. Sadly, many of us do forget sometimes what the Lord does for us and what he's doing in our lives. And uh, sometimes we forget to be grateful. And we don't operate from a place of thanksgiving most of the time. And it's certainly true that the people of Israel, as we read through the Old Testament, were very much the same. God would do amazing things to deliver his people to fulfill the promises of God for his people. And it wouldn't take long for them to begin to forget. Sometimes one generation, sometimes within the same generation, they'd forget what God had done and future generations would suffer the consequences of forgetting God and walking in disobedience. And the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it's really interesting, it wasn't just any night. It was during the celebration of the Passover. And the Passover was an Old Testament symbolic remembrance of God's deliverance of the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And if you remember, the people of Israel were enslaved for 600 years, and God sent Moses back to his people in Egypt to deliver them. This occurrence, in a way, is a foreshadowing of the redemptive plan that God would bring to the world through the person of Jesus Christ. And... Uh, you know, you could see Moses as almost like a picture of representation in a way of Christ. You know, Moses' name means drawn out of the water. And he was physically drawn out of the water by, by Pharaoh's daughter and uh, became part of the household of Pharaoh. And so what's interesting is Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit and carried by Virgin Mary. And scripture often speaks of the Holy Spirit as a river. Moses is a deliverer sent by God to deliver his children out of slavery or bondage. Pharaoh could represent the devil and Egypt the world, but God sent a deliverer into the world to deliver his people. And how were the people of Israel freed? Do you guys remember? Do you guys recall the story? 
is found in the book of Genesis. Sorry, Genesis. Exodus, the one next to it. God brought a series of plagues upon Egypt. And in chapter 12, the Bible says that each family was to take a lamb, and they were to sacrifice the lamb at the front door of their house. They were to catch the blood and take a hyssop, a bush, dip it in the blood and apply it to the lintel, the top of the doorway frame, and to each side of the door. And I was, I was reading the 12th chapter. I could see in my mind, it wasn't that far of a stretch to see the symbolism potentially of a cross there. The blood on the doorposts. Don't quote me on that, but that was just where my imagination went. You see, but what's most important about this story is when God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God, this was a son of God's promise that he would pass over judgment of those people, of his holy people. And they would be saved that night from what God was about to do. Um, here in Exodus 12, 13, it says, The blood that you smear on your doorposts will serve as a sign. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you. Judgment fell on, his, on Egypt on this night. And God passed through the land of Egypt, killing the firstborn sons and the firstborn animals over the whole nation of Egypt. But whoever was behind the blood... God's judgment passed over them, and they were saved and set free from the bondage in Israel. In Egypt, sorry. Verse 14 then reads, You must remember this day forever. Each of you will celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. And this is where Jesus and his followers are. They're celebrating Passover. It's a celebration of how God delivered his people out of the land of, of Egypt. This is the last Passover that Jesus will ever celebrate on earth. And it institutes the Lord's Supper. Twice he says, do this in remembrance of me. I think it's worth taking note of today that sometimes we need to be intentionable about remembrance. Jesus' words in this text relate to the Passover and the very event that God tells his people in Exodus to never forget. The Old Testament continually demonstrates our tendency as mankind to encounter the goodness and the mercy of God and then in short order forget it or at least live as though we'd never heard it at all. You know, there are multiple instances throughout Deuteronomy where Moses warns the people of Israel not to forget the Lord when they enter the promised land. And I just want to take a look here at Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12 where it says this, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with the great good cities that you did not build and the houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt 
and out of the house of slavery. There's not really such thing as a self-made person. Did you know that? That there are many people that have sacrificed and contributed to the world in which you live that created the conditions for you to be able to succeed to the level that you have in life and to where you're going to go in the future. And first and foremost, God makes a way for us to succeed and live an abundant life through him. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, look, you guys are going to walk into the promised land. You guys are going to receive things that you never worked for. You're going to receive an inheritance that really wasn't something that you guys built. You can have cisterns that you will drink from that you did not dig. I drink from cisterns today that I did not dig. I dig, I drink from the cisterns of peace that I did not fight for, that I did not have to combat for. Take care lest you forget. For when you were given cities that you did not build and houses full of good things you did not fill, one thing that this generation of parents is amazing at doing is filling your house full of good things. And there's a generation being raised up that's really gone without nothing. Literally nothing. Needs nor wants. They live in houses full of good things that they did not fill. I think sometimes it's good for kids to have to earn things themselves. To have to work for things. And always be handed everything. It builds character, it builds persistence. But we see when things are just handed to people, they don't have the perspective sometimes. You know, like there were, you know, for me, I remember when I was a youth, we used to go to YC. It was expensive when I was youth going to the youth conference in Edmonton. We'd have to stay overnight because we were three hours away staying in a hotel. And every year, um, I didn't really have support from my mom so much. She didn't really want me going because she thought I'd commit to go, not have the money, and then she'd be on the hook to have to cover it. And she didn't really support it anyhow. She didn't really want me doing all these church things. She thought I was, whatever, being indoctrinated and whatever. But she was very fearful even though I don't know what she was afraid of because it was just making me better, more respectful, more honoring. I became the kid that cleaned up his room before mom had to ask. I don't know what she was afraid of because I strived to try to demonstrate that my life was changing to my mom in particular because she was so resistant to the fact that I was going to church. But I remember I would have to ask people for gifts for my birthday for a little bit of money for for why. YC. I'd go and shovel my neighbor's driveway for 10 bucks. I'd go mow my neighbor's lawn for whatever they would give me to cover my YC. And then on top of that, I would buy one of my friend's YC tickets for them because I wanted my non-Christian friends to go, but I knew they would not fork out the cash to go on their own. And it meant something to me. And so, parents, if you're in the room, don't feel like every youth event that we do that you just have to fork out cash. YC is eight months away. It's a little expensive, especially if you have more than one kid. But they have eight months 
to come up with $200. Some of them can do it just from, you know, going through the couch cushions after dad takes a nap, if they do it consistently enough. But anyhow, beside the point, I'm off my notes. When we fail to recognize the sacrifices that people have made in the past, we don't fully appreciate the present. Is the point that I want to make. First Corinthians 11, which I read a few minutes ago, suggests a couple of views about the death of Jesus on the cross. One could be the view of looking forward, looking backwards, sorry, first. You know, Jesus mentions twice about performing the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. We look back to something that took place before. And that is what Jesus did on the cross when we reflect on what Jesus did in the sacrifice. What was unique about this was he was saying, remember me, before he even died on the cross. Before he even died, he was saying, remember me. Remember me. Knowing that he was about to go in to the most horrendous moment of his life on this planet and die. A horrendous death. We need to look back and reflect regularly on, on God and what he's done in our life. And what it does is it changes our attitude of sin. When we reflect on the cross and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf so that we could be made right with God, not by works but by his grace, it changes our attitude of sin and keeps us from wanting to desire and seek after sin. Paul in Romans 6 it says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Our attitude towards sin should ultimately be to avoid it, to not submit to temptation, and to desire after the kingdom of God, to fill our lives with God and righteousness, and to seek after his will for our lives because he died for us. And when we look back and remember what God has done, how he died for our sin, we remember the sacrifice Christ made so that we could be made right with God, and it's humbling. I don't think it's a coincidence that God chose one of the most humiliating forms of death to die for our behalf. Because it's humbling. It's humbling to think about. Number two, we should look inward and not take it lightly. Christ died so that we could have freedom and new life. It says Romans 6, verses 7 to 9. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. When we reflect on the Lord's Supper and the taking of communion, we are reminded that it gives us freedom now in the present, that we are set free. For who he says free are free indeed. It's not something that we have to wait for. We can have freedom 
to overcome any area of our life that's hindering us from our walk with God. Because we're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. When we choose to follow after the kingdom of God, we choose to place our eyes and focus on Jesus and be filled with his spirit so that his spirit can empower us to live out the life that he's called us to live. And also we have to have eyes and a hope for the future that we will be united with Christ in heaven as co-heirs with him. And we shouldn't, you know, we sometimes I think take some things very lightly. We shouldn't take Remembrance Day lightly. We shouldn't take the cross lightly. But just as we look back, we need to look to the future and maintain, maintain Remembrance Day. But we also have to Think about how we pass this on to the next generation, how we pass on a faith-filled life, a generation who pursues after Jesus, who loves Jesus even more than we do. And it's the hope that we have for the future. Uh, Romans 6, 1 to 5 says, For we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. One day we will be united with him in heaven. One day we will be seated next to the king of glory in heaven. It's an amazing thing. It's a hope for the future that we have. But Jesus taught us to pray, pray on earth as it is in heaven. We don't have to wait for all the good things. God wants to give us good things now. But sometimes the good things that we're looking for and expecting are not the things God necessarily wants to always give us in that moment. It's learning to hear the voice of God and pray the voice of God and pray things that are in line with God's will is important. We don't want to be praying for things that are outside God's will for our life or someone else's. And so our prayers are powerful and important, what we pray. And we need discernment when we pray so that we know that we're praying for the right things and we're not praying flippantly. Because I don't know about you, but when I pray, I'm hoping for a result. I don't want to just be a noisy gong talking at God. But when I bring my heart concerns and my mind to Jesus, my hope is that God will respond. That I humble myself before God and say, God, hear my prayer. I trust that you hear my prayer. And I trust that God will do something with it. I trust that our prayers can actually change the spiritual atmosphere of a home, of a person, of a church, of a building, of a country, of a nation such as ours. Prayer can change things. And that's why we need to pray. And this January, we're going to be focusing on prayer a little bit during the week of prayer and fasting. And I really encourage you to come out and learn more about how to pray and what to pray for and how to pray strategically. And we have some people that just came back from Ottawa who've been just enamored with prayer, 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 and how some amazing prayer warriors are praying for our nation and praying for our leaders. And I believe that they have some things that we need to learn. 
as a church that God has given them through that experience. So I encourage you to come out and be involved in that in January. But today is Remembrance Day. Each one of us has to, um, has received a benefit from the sacrifice of our veterans and those who have fought to protect our freedom. And our older generations have given us so much since World War I. And they've built our nation, and they deserve to be remembered. And um, I'll finish off with this, lest we forget. Today we remember that we are alive today because young men and women put their lives on the line to fight for our nation and to fight for what is right. And today... We come reverently before God, grateful and joyful about the life that we have in him because of his blood sacrifice that happened through the person of Jesus on the cross, God incarnate. And the Lamb of God who was slain on the cross was the final sacrifice for our souls that we could be reunited with God. That on day of judgment, his judgment will pass over us because he'll no longer see us, he'll see Christ in us. Today we remember and honor our military and those who have served our nation in uniform, those who've been injured and killed and serve our nation. Today we honor our veterans who've served, the men and women who are still serving today. I'll end in a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you this morning. God, I thank you for all those things every day that we take for granted. God, I pray that today would be a day of reflection. God, a day of humbling. A day of acknowledging you and the sacrifice that you made for us and that our countrymen of the past have made for us. And throughout the whole world. God, we thank you that you have a plan. God, that ultimately you are in control. And God, we just pray, Lord, that we would would align with, with your heart to know what to pray for, to know what to intercede on behalf of. And God, that we would reflect and be attuned to you in this next season. That we would remember And that that remembrance would be less of just hearing, but it would be a listening. The distinction being, God, that we would listen, that we would hear, and we would respond. That it wouldn't be something that's just in one ear and out the other, but, God, that it would transform the way we think, the way we do things, the way we behave, the way we interact, and the way that we perceive the world around us. That we'd see the world from your eyes for today and into the future. Lord, thank you. Bless our soldiers, bless our military veterans, and those who have served and are serving. Lord, help us to remember. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. 
Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.